this morning. Lord, I give you me. So when I was growing up, uh, we didn't have cable television until I was 12 years old. So that meant we had CBS, ABC, NBC, Fox, and PBS. We had five stations. Sometimes where we lived, uh, there was this Channel 30 that would come in out of Nashville. And sometimes if you played with the antenna just right, uh, you might, through the static, be able to watch that channel, which I loved because Vanderbilt basketball games were shown on that channel. So we didn't have cable television, and, uh, and my parents, you know, being uh, watchful over what we could or could not watch, uh, they didn't let us watch a lot of things uh, during the week at nighttime that were on TV anyway. We watched The Cosby Show, uh, and we watched Full House and uh, Family Matters and, and maybe a couple other shows, but we didn't watch a lot of television other than sports when we were growing up. So uh, when my dad uh, brought home the VCR, that was a monumental moment in the life of our family because all of a sudden that meant that he could rent movies or buy movies and uh, our viewing options just exploded because they could purchase things that they were willing to let us watch. Um, so when he got that VCR, another thing happened. The few shows that came on TV that we were allowed to watch uh, especially if they were movies that came on, we would record them. And because we didn't have many options of what to watch, we would watch those same movies that mom and dad would let us record on the VCR. We'd watch them like, no joke, probably a hundred times. I mean, just over and over and over again. Uh, especially in winter months like this, when you had to be inside, we would, we would watch those movies. So imagine my thrill and surprise over Christmas break as I'm sitting there with Ethan and Owen and Laura and uh, it's nighttime over this last Christmas break, and it's cold outside, and we've decided to stay in for the night. And imagine my thrill when one of the movies that we had recorded that came on that I probably watched a hundred times between fifth and sixth grade, uh, I saw that it was coming on, and uh, so I sat Laura and the boys down. We were already sitting there, and I said, nobody's leaving. Nobody's going to do anything else. We're going to sit here, and you're going to watch this movie because it was one of my favorite movies growing up. Imagine how excited this dad was when he forced all the family over Christmas break to watch the movie The Goonies together. A few of you have apparently seen The Goonies. If you haven't, it is one of the all-time best movies ever made, ever. The Goonies. So we watched the movie. Now, The Goonies, the thing about The Goonies is if you haven't seen it, it's about a group of kids that they're about to lose their home and their whole community is actually going to be wiped out. It's going to be uh, developed now, with new developers, they're going to knock down all the old homes that are there, and they're going to put in a new development. And the Goonies about these kids that the day before their neighborhood's going to get knocked out, they go searching for the lost treasure of One-Eyed Willie. One-Eyed Willie was a pirate, and of where they lived, he supposedly had hidden his treasure in a group of caves. And so they go to look for the treasure. They go to search for the treasure. And so this movie is all about this group of kids that they go looking for the treasure of One-Eyed Willie. And they, they go in these caves underground and they're booby-trapped and they're these people that try to get them and catch them. And uh, it's the kind of thing when you're 10, 11, 12 years old, it's really exciting and it's scary and all this stuff. So the boys watch the Goonies with me 
and they loved it. I mean, they, they thought it was great, and they, they thought, man, that's so awesome because we're pretty restrictive on what we let them watch too. And so it was like, whoa, they just thought, that's, that's an amazing movie. And uh, everything kind of was going as I wanted to go. We had a great family time over Christmas watching this movie that I love. And then a night or two after the Goonies, Ethan began to get up in the middle of the night. And he began to get up, and he began to come to me. And like two or three times a night, all of a sudden, Ethan could not sleep. And one night, Ethan came to me. You remember this, Ethan? He came to me. He, he, he wanted to hear this. He knew he's not ready to go to children's church yet. He wanted to hear about the Goonies. He came to me, and he said, Dad, I can't sleep. I'm like, what is wrong? You were doing so good. Why can't you sleep? And he said, Dad, I think One-Eyed Willie the Pirate is after me. He was going to sleep, but when he would go to sleep, because that movie got his imagination moving so much, he was waking up thinking One-Eyed Willie is out to get me because I know the Goonies got his treasures. They're coming to get me. You know, sometimes in life we watch something or we see something or something happens to us, and it starts to take us on a path that's a little different than what we anticipated, right? When we watched that movie at Christmas time, I did not anticipate or think that watching the Goonies was going to make Ethan get to where he couldn't sleep because he's thinking One-Eyed Willie is after him. That's not what I planned, but that's what happened. Here's the thing with sin. Here's the thing that all of us have to realize and know about sin. Sin, you will start out with sin, but if you continue with sin, it will quickly take you places and cause repercussions that you never imagined, you never dreamed of, and you'll sit there and say, whoa, how has this happened? You see, God today, we sang that song that God is a good, good father, and I believe that today. If you believe God is a good father, say amen. He's a good father, and he's got a good plan for you and a good purpose for you. Even in the midst of all the struggles you face, God has a good plan and a good purpose for you and your family and the ones you love. God has a good plan for you. But sin also has a plan for you. And sin also has a purpose for you. And sin also has a destination for you. And so the Bible warns us that while God has this plan for you, sin also has a plan for your life and a place that sin wants to take you. And so a lot of the Bible is warning us and showing us, do not go on this path of sin. Continue to trust and follow this good, good Father. Don't go with sin. Don't, don't do that. Well, we've been looking at the book of Acts on Sunday morning. And it's been amazing to see what God has been doing in the life of the early church. I mean, it's just been in the midst of some opposition and problems. They've just experienced victory after victory after victory. But today we're going to see something occur that's going to be very different than everything else we've seen in Acts so far. Because today we're going to see sin creep into the early church. And we're going to see that what sin has for the church and what sin has for you and for your family is radically different than what God has planned for you. And we're going to see today where sin leads and where sin will lead you and your family, if you let it, where it will lead you in 2018. So go to Acts chapter 4, all right, go to Acts chapter 4 and go to verse 32 and let's read together. Let's see, let's see where God was taking the church and then what happens when sin jumps into the equation, all right? Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. So the Holy Ghost has been moving, people have been getting saved, they've been getting converted, 
Uh, it's just been victory after victory. The church people are sharing what they have in common. They're taking care of one another's needs. It's just been incredible what's been going on. Look at verse 32. It said, The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, and neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed as his own, but they had all things in common. Everything they did, they just, they're willing to say, hey, I'm willing to help you. You're my brother and sister in Christ. If you need this, I'm willing to help you. And he says, it's amazing. It's so amazing, verse 33, that there was with great power, with great power, what is the Lord doing? What is the Holy Spirit doing? With great power gave all the apostles witnesses of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So great movement of the power of God and the grace of God, it's, it's upon this, this, this early group of believers. Neither was there any among them that lacked. People did not lack. Why, why is this? For as many as were possessors of lands or houses, they sold them. So people that had extra, who that extra, it says they started to sell their extra stuff off. They started to get rid of the extra. Now why is that? Partly because they recognized, like, I'm not preparing for this life. It's going to pass. My preparation is for the kingdom to come. And really, I don't need all this extra stuff because this is not what it's about. What it's about is where I'm headed, and I don't need all this, so I'm free to let go of it and help other people and give it to other people. And I'm free to bless them because I know that actually my eternal home's not here, it's somewhere else. It says they sold them, and what did they do with the money? Verse 34, they brought the prices of the things so they would sell, and apparently there were people they were selling, and they were bringing everything. They bring everything from that, they brought them, they brought the prices of the things that were sold. They laid them down at the apostles' feet. And then what happens? Distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. So they didn't just divide it up evenly. That, that's not what happened. Uh, they didn't just decide, okay, we're going to, you know, it's not like communism. That's not what's occurring here. What's occurring is they would recognize if you have a need, then they would give it to you. If there was a real need, then they would say, all right, we're going to give to those that actually are in need. And so that's what they would do. And in fact, look at verse 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite in the country of Cyprus, having land, he sold it. Apparently he had a lot of it. He sold it and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So it tells us this is going on and then it gives us one example like one example that we can know, one, one person to illustrate this, and there's a guy named Barnabas that they say, hey, he, he sold a lot of what he had. He, or he sold all of it, and he came and he brought it to them, laid it at their feet. So here we have what's going on, what God is doing, and we're seeing God is a good father, and things are great in the early church, but then something happens. Barnabas is contrasted with some other people in the church. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. But, so we got Barnabas, but there were some other people. A certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. But they kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it or also in on it. So they bought it and they bring it forward like Barnabas has done. And he's laid it all out there. Hey, I sold this land and I want to give it all to the church. They sell some land and they bring it. And apparently they act like they're bringing everything that they had sold, all the money, but privately they're keeping part of it back. So what happens? Well, it says they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, 
Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost, to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not your own? He said, nobody made you sell that. That's very important. They were apparently, were, they were not making people sell their property. They were not forcibly taking property. People. He said, when it was yours, it was yours. And nobody was upset about that. You didn't have to, to do anything with it. You could have kept it. It was yours. And after it sold, was it not in your own power? He says, after you sold it, you could make a decision about how much you wanted to give. No problem there. You, you could have said, hey, I'm going to give half, or I'm going to give a third, or I'm going to give a quarter, I'm going to give 10%. He says, you could have done that. That would have been fine. It's, he says, look, you could have kept the land. When you sold it, you could have decided, well, I'm just going to give a third and done that. But that's not what you did. You sold it, and contrasted with Barnabas, you brought it and pretended as if you gave everything. As if every dollar you got from that property was going to the Lord's work. Why, verse 4, look what he says, Why hast thou, why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Thou hast lied, you have lied not unto men. The lie is primarily not unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. He, it scares him to death, literally, when he finds out that the power of God is so pervasive that in this instance it revealed to the apostle that you have lied you did not bring everything you sold, and you have presented yourself one way to the congregation, and that's probably a big part of this problem. You have presented it as one way, I have given all, but the truth is God knows that you did not. And that, I mean, I can imagine the shock. And he dies. Oh, that's different than anything else we've read next so far. Verse 6, the young men arose, they wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. Uh, this is pretty quick for a Jewish burial, actually, if you study these things. This is fast. Like, they don't fool around. There's no prompt. There's no circumstance. There's no preacher getting up for the burial service, apparently, and smoothing things over and uh, kind of talking about him in one way that makes you think, oh, well, he was a pretty good guy. They didn't do that. They wound him up, they took him, and they buried him. It was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, so she was in on this, but she didn't know what had happened, she came in. And Peter answered unto her and said, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. He says, Hey, you guys brought this much, and you said this is what it was for. Is that how much you got for the land? And she said, Yes. She said, Yay, for so much. So she lies as well. And Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried your husband are at the door and shall carry you out, carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway. She, she dies on the spot at his feet, yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carried her forth and buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. That's right there at the temple. The Holy Spirit of God 
If you've been with us, if you haven't been, uh, in these first four chapters, the Holy Spirit of God has been guiding and directing the church. And the leaders of Israel, we've seen uh, in the last few messages here in the book of Acts, the leaders of Israel, the religious leaders and other, otherwise, they were very actively, very purposely, very intently opposing the church. We've seen lots of opposition from the outside to what has been going on within the ministry of the church. But we've seen time and time again that there was nothing outside the church, not even the religious leaders all arrayed together, there was nothing that could happen outside the church that could stop what God wanted to do for his people. If you are glad that there is nothing outside of you that can take the love of the Lord away from you, say amen. The Bible clearly teaches that. The Bible teaches it's not outside of you where the problem starts. But there is a problem within you. And there's a problem even with believers that the old man, the old flesh that has been dead, you know, the Apostle Paul says you've got to crucify that daily because it wants to rear its ugly head. The Lord, the, the, Lord, the Lord knows the devil still wants to manipulate your emotions. He still wants to point you in the wrong direction. Sin, because of the fall, sin still, uh, although it's not your master anymore, it doesn't have a claim to you anymore, but sin still wants to point you in the wrong way and to get your heart to turn away from the Lord Jesus. I didn't know what Tanner was going to sing today. I don't think I knew. If I did, I'd forgotten. But Tanner, that, that's the perfect song, right? Because, man, Lord, we, we need you to keep us. And Lord, we need to stay close to you. Why? Well, we see here today that while there's nothing outside of us that can defeat us on its own, there is a power of sin within us. And if we follow that path, it will lead to endings, it will lead to consequences that are radically different than what the Lord God has for us. A defeated Christian, an apostate church, an apostate believer will not happen first and foremost because of something out there. The something out there only reveals what is already going on within us. It is sin within us that must be destroyed, that must be crucified that must be we must continue to walk in the holy spirit not walking according to the flesh so where did sin lead ananias where did sin lead sapphira and what can you learn from this story from your own life and if you do not want sin to guide in your life say amen and we need to listen closely this is very important what the Word of God is saying here. Let me, let me point out from this text three places that sin will take you. You might want to jot these down and write these down. You might want to ask the Lord. You might want to go home this afternoon and ask the Lord to look at these things and say, Dear God, help me to follow you and to not let sin take me to these places. You might want to do some inventory this afternoon and see, is sin already doing this in me? And if it is, man, I, I, need, to, I need to move away from that and and move back to listening to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Where does sin lead? Number one, first place it led them and it'll lead you. Sin leads to half-heartedness. Sin always leads believers into a stage of half-heartedness. Look at chapter 4, verse 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands and houses sold them and brought the prices, the full price, of the things that were sold. So these are people that are, they made the decision to go all in. Now again, we learn a little later, it's okay if you don't give it all, but whatever you've said you're going to give, 
And whatever you said you're going to do, that better be what you do. Because the Lord God does not want from half-hearted effort from us. The Lord God wants us to put our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole spirit, our whole soul. He wants us to put everything into following Him and worshiping Him. And in fact, it is right, it is right and good for the Lord to demand every inch and every part of you. Because when the Lord Jesus died for you, He gave everything for you. Everything. And so, it's the happy duty of the Christian who's walking according to the Spirit to recognize, Lord, you've been a good father who sent your son Jesus to die for me. And so it is a privilege for me to give every part of myself back. Well, sin does not want that. Sin does not want that. The devil wants you to be half-hearted in the commitments that you make to God. See, that's part of why in chapter 4 we get Barnabas and then you get Ananias and Sapphira because the Bible wants you to contrast the difference and know the difference between what these two have done. Barnabas goes all in. He gives every part, every fiber, everything. He goes all in. And you kind of wonder, right? Kind of bracket this. This is the pastor's opinion. But I wonder in my own mind, I wonder, did Ananias and Sapphira see the prestige that Barnabas got? Did they see the joy from the believers that Barnabas had done this wonderful thing? Did they see that and did they think, well, I want to get in on that. I think I'd like to do that. I think I'd like to be a part of this. I don't know, but I wonder. Whatever happened, they decide to sell some land, but they don't go all in, but they try to act as if, They've done one thing when they've really done another. So how, how committed are you, right? Like just, you know, just allow the Holy Spirit, allow Lord God to speak to your heart. How, how committed are you to worshiping with other believers? How committed are you to church? How committed are you to your marriage? Because the Lord God's given you that spouse. How, how committed are you? How committed are you to your schoolwork, right? I mean, you're just coasting through. Or are you committed? How committed are you to your job? You say, well, why does any of that matter with this text? Let me tell you something. Christ followers, actually, it's not just in church that the Bible commands us that we're not to be half-hearted. If you are a follower of Jesus who gave everything, the Bible says that we're not to be half-hearted about anything. Anything. Do you know that? The Bible says either do it or don't. Either give it all or don't go at all. Listen to some verses. Listen to this. Let, let, let the Lord God speak to you through his word. Listen to these. Colossians 3.23. I'm just going to give you a little taste of this. Commands disciples of Jesus, whatever you do. Say, say whatever after me. Say whatever. Whatever. Whatever you do, do it heartily or do it fully as to the Lord and not unto men. Whatever you do. Ecclesiastes 9.10. States, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Whatever your hand is led to do, whatever you're engaged to do, he says, do it with your might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where you go. God says, I've given you one life. And so if you're going to do this, you better go all the way. You better pour all the way in. Listen, the Holy Spirit leads to complete devotion, not half heartedness. So if we're walking in the spirit and not according to flesh, we will not do things half-heartedly. We will go all in. Where will sin lead you? And you need to you need to listen to the Lord today. Sin will not lead you to half-heartedness. 
But sin will lead you to half-heartedness. God will not. God will not lead you to half-heartedness. Where will sin lead you? Sin will lead you to half-heartedness. Second thing where sin will lead you. If sin will lead you to half-heartedness, if it will lead you there, sin will also lead you to deception. Because people who do things half-heartedly quickly discover that they've got to deceive other people who are all in. People that do things half-heartedly at some point have to begin to play the game of deception because they've got to keep up the appearance all the while knowing that what's really going on is something radically different. And can I tell you today, if you think if you think that you've arrived and that sin could no longer lead you to deceive somebody else, you've already deceived yourself. See, part of what this is letting us know is this is in the church. This is among the people who have experienced the, the power of God. And so we need to be very careful, and some of you need to do some inventory today, from students all the way up to senior adults. Is there some deception going on about your walk with the Lord? I can handle people who struggle and wrestle with sin, as long as they're not, you know, I mean, now, there are people that are wrestling with sin that they're trying to get others engaged in sin. And on that as a pastor, like, i got to stand firm and say, I'm not going to talk nice to you, and I'm not going to be nice to you, and I'm not going to be friendly to you if you're over here with other flock members of our church trying to get them to do wrong. I might have to look at you and say, cut this out. I might say, you better stop that because you are messing with the people of God. Having said that, everybody wrestles with something. And people that wrestle with sin, that are wrestling with it, man, I love, I I have no problem with that. I love that, and that's part of why God's called me ministry is to help them. I don't love their sin, but I love helping them. Now, again, if you're trying to get somebody else to do your sin, then the shepherd of the flock's got to step into you and say, you better cut this out. Like, you, you better quit. But everybody wrestles. And you know what? It, 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 it's never a burden to me. There's always a joy when somebody's willing to come to the pastor or to somebody else in the church and just be honest and say, I've got this going on in my life. Because what they're doing is they're not allowing themselves to be deceived. They're being open and they're saying, I'm wrestling this. If you're wrestling with sin, listen, we all wrestle with it. And one of the first steps is just acknowledging, hey, I'm not going to deceive myself any, any longer. I've got this issue. So listen to me. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now. Listen, don't quit trying to deceive. Quit trying to do deception. Sin is just going to take you down that road. If you are struggling with that, listen, you need, you need God. God wants you to expose that to the light so the Lord God can change your behavior and change what you're doing. This church can rally and help you move from the darkness into the light that Jesus has for you. But what sin does is it'll keep you in this deception game. It'll keep you in this deception game. You know, Colossians 3.9 puts it succinctly, lie not to one another. It just says, just don't lie to each other. Seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Don't lie. Now, do Ananias and Sapphira, did they do things openly and honestly? No, they deceived. They try to make it look one way when there's actually something different going on. Sin will lead you some places. It'll lead you to half-heartedness, and sin will lead you into deception. And I learned something new this week. I learned about a flower that I had never heard of before. Look at, look, at this, look at this corpse flower. This is called the corpse flower. And the corpse flower grows in the, in, uh, down near the equator in the Sumatra uh, part of the world. And it can grow up to 10 feet tall. That flower can go up to 10 feet tall. It looks like, and if you look at it, see how that, that kind of purplish look? In the jungle, they say it gives off a look as if it's rotting and dying, as if something has died there. And so what happens is insects and animals and other things 
they go to that flower and they expect to find dead food. They expect to be able to feast on it and to find dead food. But that's not what happens. When they get there, there's no nectar and there's nothing dead. There's nothing, there's nothing in this plant at all that's any good any good for the, uh, the animals or insects that go there. It just looks like something has died. And it looks like there might be some sort of sustenance there. But in reality, there's nothing there. Some scientists call this the, 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 the flower that is a joke. Why do they say that? Because it's a joke to the animals or insects that go there thinking they're going to get sustenance. It's just a big joke because there's actually nothing there for them to eat or feast on. They think they're going to get a meal. They think they're going to get a meal. Oh, and it also lets off a smell. I forgot that. It lets off a smell where it smells like something has died. And so they come up and they think, man, I'm going to get something really, really good. But it has deceived them. It has deceived them. It looks attractive to things in the jungle. It looks very, very attractive. But it has deceived them because there is nothing there. Can I tell you something today? The sin that you wrestle with, the devil will make it look so attractive to you. And it will look so good to you. And you will think in the moment, or, or if you ponder it longer, oh, it'll, it'll, it'll look so good to you. It'll, it'll look like that apple. Look to Adam and Eve. It will look, oh, that looks so good. That looks so good to grab a hold of. But that's the thing about sin, just like that flower. You will think that the sin you're engaged in is going to be so good. But the minute you taste it and bite, and if you continue to eat on it, you will quickly find that sin does one thing. It deceives the believer. Sin deceives, and sin will defeat the Christian, and it will defeat a church, and it will defeat a family, and it will defeat an individual. And that's the third hard truth we need to think about today. You know, if last week's message was kind of the in-your-face message, the message today is just really just a much more somber message, serious message not so much in your face because the story itself gets in your face the minute you read it it's very somber today because listen please listen with listen with spiritual ears listen very very closely to this sin will lead to half-heartedness and sin will lead to deception but the third thing we see from this story is sin will lead to death physical spiritual death look at chapter 5 verse 3 again let's read together what's it say but Peter said to Ananias why why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost to keep back part of the price of the land tell us one thing but do another while it remained was it not your own and and this you know what's so crazy about this story they didn't have to do this like that's why the apostle puts it there they didn't have to to do this. You didn't have to say what you said about that other Christian. You didn't have to spread that gossip. You didn't have to be mean or rude. You didn't have to tell that filthy joke. You didn't have to watch that thing upon television. You didn't have to steal from somebody else. You didn't have to lie to your boss and act like you had completed a job that you had not completed. You didn't have to come to church. Listen, I listen very close. Again, you don't have to come to church and pretend that you got it all together. It'd be a lot better sometimes if we just came and got on our knees and admitted to God, I've got nothing together. 
but we lie. We lie. You see, in the garden, we learn that that's what snagged us. Our pride, in combination with the lie of the evil one, is what led us into sin to begin with. They didn't have to lie. Nothing made them say this. I think about my own life. I think about words I've said flippantly or comments I've made and then not followed through on. And I think about this comment where the apostle says, nobody made you do this. When the land, what's it say there again? Verse 4, well, it remained. It was your, it was your, your own. It was yours. After it was sold, was it not then in your power, own power? Why is thou? Why have you conceived these things in your hearts? You've not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came upon all them that heard these things. And the young men arose. They wound him up and carried him out. And they buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after. When his wife, not knowing what was done, she came in. And Peter answered and said unto her, Tell me whether you sold this land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. And then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried Thy husband have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry thee out. They're going to carry you out as well. Sin kills. You say that after me. Say sin kills. My friends, sin will kill you. It will spiritually kill you. And eventually, if you stay in sin, you will find that uh, physical death is coming. One reason we all experience physical death is because that's part of the original curse when we rebelled against God. That's why when people die, we all get that feeling of something's just not right. Something's not right with this world. And what's not right is God created you for life. Man, to know to know the vibrancy of life, to know it. You know, Brother Bob over here loves loves football. And uh, he Brother Bob sent me a text before the playoff game last week. He's a big Alabama fan. He sent me a text. His daughter was there with him. He sent me a picture of his daughter sitting on the couch. They're about to watch football. And she just had a big smile on her face. And he was saying, man, I love watching football with my kids. It's just going to be a great day. And, you know, I was thinking that's what God made us for is to love life, like to, to live life and, and, and to love it, you know, to, to just experience the joy of life. If, if you've ever had days where you have just thought, man, this is just a great day, say amen. That's what God made us for. But sin has entered in. And ultimately, at the end of the day, what the devil wants for you and desires for you is for you to not experience that joy of living that God has made for you. So what the devil has done is he has introduced sin, which leads to eternal death, everlasting death, hell, punishment, separation from God, the exact opposite of eternity with God. So sin, listen, sin kills. When Adam and Eve, when they started engaging with sin they didn't believe God they wouldn't listen to God's word they would not be obedient to it and what sin says when you engage in sin you're basically saying I don't need God because God has given us this word to stay away from sin and so when we engage in sin we're basically showing I don't really need God but the truth is you do need God listen to what God warned would happen just just listen to Genesis chapter 2 16 and 17 just listen very closely the Lord God commanded the man, instead of every tree of the garden thou may or you may freely eat, 
of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. From the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. You will die the minute you Why did God do that? Well, I think it's the tree, and now there are a lot of debates about this, but I think it's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so God gave them a choice, and the choice was, Adam, you will either trust day by day what I reveal to you, and what I show to you as you mature as a human being, you either trust me day by day by day, or I'm going to give you an option, you can decide you don't need me the creator anymore, and you can try to short-circuit me. And you can try to gain this knowledge and this wisdom on your own. So you can either, because see, God is showing him, he's, he's, he, he's showing Adam the animals, and he's created this place for him to live, and then he's going to create this woman for him. And God is just giving Adam all this stuff, and he's revealing all this new knowledge and ways of life with him. And basically, God gives him a choice. He says, you can either continue to trust in my goodness, that I'm a good, good father, or the two of you can decide, I don't need God in this equation, and you can try to go out and figure this all out on your own. But he says, if you do that, if you decide to live, make this choice of living by eating of this fruit, which is representative of you don't need me anymore to show and reveal and to help and to give. Listen, what you're going to find is when you, the creature, are separated from me, the creator, you're going to find when that breaks that you no longer live, but you will die. The sin that you're being deceptive about, the sin that you're wrestling with, ultimately it's not going to keep you at just half-heartedness. And ultimately it's going to move beyond deception. Sin leads to death. So my friend, this morning you can either commit in 2018, it's really just pretty simple, you can either commit in 2018 to follow God's path or sin's path. Now some of you have already started out on sin's path. And you're in that half-hearted stage, or you're in that deception stage. And what you need today is not more sin. You don't need to leave today engaging in more sin. What you need today, listen, what Ananias and Sapphira needed was not to continue in their sin, to not let sin reign. What they needed was the power of Jesus and the power of the Holy Ghost to rely on that. You see, you got a choice today. You can either walk in sin you can either continue in sin and experience death or, or you can live according to Acts 4.33. Look right back at that verse one more time. You can either walk in sin and allow death to reign or you can walk according to Acts 4.33 with great power. Great power given by the Holy Spirit by great power gave the apostle witnesses of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And here it is. And great grace was upon them all. What is the answer for sin in your life? What was the answer for the sin in Ananias and Sapphira? What is the answer for sin in a church? What is an answer for the sin that you face? The answer for sin is the Lord Jesus and the great grace that he will give you to cover your sin. See, today this is the wonderful thing. Because I know my sin. I don't need just a dab of grace. And I don't need just a little bit of grace. And I didn't need grace just yesterday. The truth is, I need grace every moment of every hour of every day. Grace, grace, grace. 
So husband that feels like you have failed, don't wallow in your sin. Accept the grace that God gives. Mom that feels like you have led your children astray or you're not good enough as a mother, don't continue in doubt and self-pity and don't allow the devil to continue to manipulate your emotions. Accept the grace of God. Individual that has made some horrible choices in your life. And you look at your life and you say, man, these have been just, just terrible choices. Good news for you today. God offers great grace. Sinner that is here today, that your sin is killing you inside right now. You feel the battle because you feel and you know that sin is just ripping away at who you are. You don't have to continue in sin today. With great power, you can be saved by Jesus. But just like with Adam and Eve, God has given you a choice. He's given us a choice. We walk under the power of the great grace of Jesus. Or walk according to the power of sin. And what you need to know today. What needs to be communicated from the word of God to your heart. Is if you stay in sin. It will kill you. And it will kill those that you love. It will destroy them. Now. I know this today. Like there's, zero, there's zero question in my mind. I know that some of you are wrestling with sin. I know some of you are part of situations where maybe somebody else is engaged in sin and it is just wearing you out, wearing your life out. Can I tell you someday, whether it is your own personal sin or whether you're involved in a family situation or, or a work situation, uh, or I don't know, maybe there's somebody in the church that you're not getting along with. I mean, I, I don't know of anything like that, but maybe there is. Maybe there's, it's just eating at you to even come to church because there's somebody that you just, you just can't get along with anymore. I don't know what it is, but listen, wh- whatever the case may be, whether it's you individually, whether it's you as a family, whether it's somebody else in your life, whatever it is, if sin is eating away at you today, you know what you need to do? You need to use this time of reflection that we give at the end to listen to the Holy Spirit and respond to the Holy Spirit. You, you need to, you need to, make a decision today that you're either going to embrace and walk in the power of the Lord Jesus and His grace or you're going to make a decision that I'm just going to continue to let sin direct me where it wants to go. If you make that choice for sin and you make that choice when you decide not to take grace you're going to be like Ethan. You're going to wake up one night you're going to wake up one day And you're going to realize, whoa, whoa, there are some consequences to this thing that I didn't anticipate. And it's sin that is dead. If God is good to give us light, say amen. You see, that's why he came. He came so you would not have to experience the death of Ananias and Sapphira. He came not so you would die, but so you could live. Use this time wisely. Sapphira did not use her time wisely. She was given an option to be truthful before God. That's what she never understood. When Peter asked her that question, it really wasn't Peter asking. It was God that wanted to know, are you going to tell the truth or not? Are you going to be honest or not? Can I tell you something? If you think the last 30 minutes of this message has been from me, you're wrong. This is what God's word says to you today. What will you you stand with me this morning as the musicians come? Somber message, serious message. Something to ponder with your heart and your mind and your whole soul.
And I believe today there's somebody that's wrestling with sin. Oh, I believe this is for you today. There's somebody that's half-hearted today. This is for you today. There's somebody that knows they've started down the path of deception. This is for you. There's somebody that maybe somebody else, their sin is just eating away at you and leading your mind and thoughts into places that it doesn't need to go. And you just need to respond to the grace of God today. We're going to sing. The, the praise group's going to sing for us. And as they, as they sing, as they sing for us today, listen, you need to come and pray. Choose grace. Choose grace today. Dear Lord, I ask right now that your Holy Spirit will continue to move. These people have been so attentive today, God. Thank you. Thank you for the way that they've listened. But Lord, now I ask that they would respond. Lord, I pray that the one who knows this message is for them. Lord, that they would respond to the call at this time. May they choose grace today. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just keep your heads bowed. And they're going to sing. And if you need to pray, listen, you come as they sing. This time is for you. Choose wisely. Life today, Lord. 